All right, everybody, it's uh, Scoots here, and uh, this is going to be a different style episode. I uh, like uh, I thought like I like I thought uh, that uh, someone reached out to me because they must have heard we were working on this time capsule, which which I'm working on right now. But when you hear this in the future, it'll be something we've already done. Uh, uh, but time capsules are a pretty c- cool and interesting thing to me. And so this person reached out and they said, hey, I'd like to come on the show. I hear you're talking about time capsules and thinking about them. And they said, well, well, well hold on. You want to come on the podcast? Uh, and they said, yeah, I'd like to be on the podcast. I said, well, you know, sleep with me. We we don't have uh, – I said, are you a real person or, a, you know, a person? Where are you speaking to me from? Uh, because we only have, we don't have, to, I said, uh, not to diffuse you, but we don't, I said, I don't know if I could put you in a diffuser, but uh, uh, the, the, like we don't have t- typically real guests in quote quotes uh, on the show. And they just said, Hardy, and they said, I'm calling, you know, I said, oh, within my, okay, well, then you probably can come on the show. And so I said, this will be fun because they told me the idea. And I said, well, that's a pretty good idea. It really uh, interests me and I'm excited about it. So without further ado, it's going to be really sleepy and stuff. Uh, So I'm going to turn it over to our guest uh, to take it from here. Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Betty Veronica and uh, I'm I'm here to uh, thank you, Scooter, for having me on the show don't worry about the spelling of my name because it's just going to be me. So Scooter won't be saying Betty Veronica. How do you, how do, how do I say that? Uh, Betty Veronica, uh, or anything. So I'm here and I don't want to, I, I, I do want to say, Oh, who, what, what am I going to talk about? Who am I? And those kind of things are usually what you cover at the top, right? Well, I can assure you this will be lulling and soothing. I consider myself uh, the foremost, uh, the world's foremost amateur authority or hobbyist authority on the anthropology and archaeology of uh, time capsules uh, of ideas. Uh, but I'm also in character. I do this in character. I mean, in, in a character, I play myself, but I try to put myself in the position of someone opening a time capsule in the future, a time capsule of ideas only. And we have a limitless well of, not limitless, but a pretty unlimited well of ideas here to choose from. So in order to choose the ideas, we'll be using a random number generator, just in case you're following along at home. But you don't need to. Really, you could uh, trust me. I'm going to take you on a little journey here. Uh, As someone in the future, I guess I'll be more talking. It's a bit of a thought experiment, I guess you'd say. What would, if someone in the future, we'll say 50 years, we'll say 100 years, uh, uh, or we'll just say imaginary date in the future. They discovered a, a time capsule of ideas and they just started pulling things out. Uh, how would they process them? So I guess, yes. Uh, and so our first idea here is the idea of brothers. Uh, seven 
I already lost my spot place. 702, that was the random number we got, the first one. And they're looking at this concept of brothers, and maybe it has a little bit larger definition in the future. Maybe siblinghood has been redefined beyond the binary, uh, as it probably should be. So could it, could we live in an era where that's like, but you say, well, there's still, then they'd be looking, maybe they say, well, this is from the past, uh, Maybe the term still has meaning. Now, maybe this is a specific uh, time-capsuled scooter, uh, which would mean it would carry more meaning towards his siblings, uh, Carl, Ted, Ken, and Dan. Uh, And uh, so I could say that. The other thing I was thinking of is it could have anything to do with Emmett Otter's like, where will in 50 or 100 years Emmett Otter's Chug Band Christmas be? Will they, uh, was there a song in that movie, Brothers? I think there was. It was the song that the two friends sang, maybe. And then the mom sang, will they still know what the tale of the Magi is? Are those two things related? You know, is that, isn't that tale archetypal uh, anyway? Will people not know what Tale of the Magi is and they'll know what Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is? Will they still? I don't know. And then it leads to the question, what will puppets be like in the future? Uh, marionettes even. So just a couple of questions to think about with that term as they uncover that. And they say, oh, wow, interesting. Their next random number is 445. Uh, and I see the term Les Mis, L-A-M-I-Z. And that would be confusing if that was the only idea they uncovered uh, would they know that that is shorthand or once was shorthand for Les Miserables or I don't know how to say it even. What would, what would they know? Would they know, would they say, would they think of Cosette or Jean Valjean? Why would they, would they say, well, why didn't they, Les Mis, why did that need to be shortened? When was, maybe they would know when peak Les Miserables, what, you know, that was. Maybe they're listening to the Broadway 2120 revival. And will they do, you know, will there be a point where musicals like that or are restaged and rebooted in ways like Shakespeare, or has it probably that already happened? I'm just not aware of it, uh, where they have a, a version of Les Mis. Uh, uh, I guess you'd say, well, if it was Les Mis, would you cross it with The Wiz, which is already a crossover, or not a crossover, but a re- reimagining of uh, that movie with uh, Dorothy, which is Rainbow uh, in Golden Roads or something. I can't remember what it's called. Somewhere Over the Rainbow? No, it's called The Wizard of Oz. Uh, they, but they would probably think through it like that. Uh, maybe. Maybe they wouldn't know. And they'd say, well, it's a lame Miz. Uh, 
I think that was, remember, uh, people back then used to wear perfumes in colognes. Uh, and they maybe they have the date wrong in the time, time capsule, so they think it's 1980s. Uh, and they'd say, yeah, that was uh, uh, from the makers of Dracar Noir, Les Mis. Uh, it's sent for everybody who wants to say Les Mis. Uh, it sounds French. It sounds like it is the scent for you, Les Mis. When Drucoir Noir is too, you know, not your scent, uh, but you still want to support our fragrance company, Les Mis. Uh, I think those are some roads they would go down. I don't know what, like, uh, is Les stand for the Miser, the Miser, Les Miserables, the Miserables, Les Miserables? Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I do like saying Jean Valjean, though. And is it, it's Cosette, right, and not Coquette. I think Scooter made that mistake at one point in his life. Uh, you know, when I uh, first talked to Scooter about the idea, he was distracted by uh, uh, trailers for Frozen 2. And he said to me, uh, I, I may have met... Uh, uh, Scooter, Scooter, you say, I may have met Kristen Anderson Lopez, uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, at the performance of Les Mis, I've tried to trace it back, and uh, I can't be sure if she ever played the innkeeper's wife in a performance in the 90s of Les Mis. Uh, and if that's the same person, then I actually, that's like maybe the most famous person I ever met. And also, it'd be pretty cool to, to have met her, but uh, can't be sure. So I guess those are some thoughts about Les Mis, some from the future, some from the past. Uh, so we generate another number, another 700 number. 718 is the next random number as we reach in here. And we pull out moving cloudy change. Oh, boy. Would that be uh, not easy to process at any time in history if you're pulling it out of a time capsule full of ideas? Moving cloudy change. So you'd say, okay, moving cloudy change. Uh, maybe they would say, is that a, um, some sort of poem? Uh, and they'd say, well, it's poetic, but I wouldn't say it's a poem. They'd say, is it a book title from that dude that wrote all those book titles but never wrote a book? Uh, and they'd say, possibly, moving cloudy change. Uh, is moving always change would be another question that would come up. Uh, is it spare change? Uh, but is it, is it cloud? Are you being moved to, to change? Uh, They'd say, well, I'm feeling something when I read this, uh, because out of context, it, it really reminds me of, of feelings. And maybe maybe these two people that discovered this would sit down and hold hands or just sit by, side by side, pondering the words moving, cloudy, change, and what it means to each of them. They may might think of life in the future. You know, who knows what it, it could be just like now with just, uh, you know, more screen. You know, who knows? You know, it could be 
Maybe it's more relaxed. Maybe there's more time to sit and think about stuff. Is it daytime? Are they outside? I mean, I guess I'm picturing them outside processing this. Uh, as I, I guess when I told you I'd be in character, I guess I didn't realize it would be in a third person, you know, omniscient, nearly not omniscient uh, character watching them. We're curious about all the people that could be opening and looking at this. Uh, now, maybe if they said, well, let's put this in a museum for people to come and look at, uh, but we really can only display, would that be the name of the exposition, Moving Cloudy Change? Uh, I don't know. Those are some of the ideas that strike me about that. Uh, wow, the next random number is 130. So really getting some range finally from these random number generators. Uh, and oh boy, is this another one that is going to be, I would like to be a, a uh, I'd like to be something observing uh, in the future when they uncover this one. Cayenne uh, or Cyan, CGA in the X Factor. In Cayenne or Cyan, I know there's two pronunciations, at least that Scooter's taught me, uh, of that word. So they would, I guess they would break it up. They'd say, okay, like, which, they say X Factor. Isn't that a term? And they say, oh, no, it was also a television, a reality television show. Back when people used to, it was like based on that uh, schadenfreude kind of, uh, that people would like to watch people be judged uh, for their talent. And they said, well, I thought it was more about the thrill of undiscovered talent being discovered. And they said, well, I thought it was like the feeling of like, uh, it's visceral. You know, some people had ups and some people had downs. And it made them, at that time, it made people feel more alive they didn't even realize it at the time but it was a visceral thrill and also the anticipation maybe something infantile about it too you know about wanting that uh some people watch some people take that roller coaster going on the downhill but that was okay too they just didn't real you know they didn't have uh you know, whatever, the big Lebowski or whoever rules now to tell us to just take it chill. Uh, so they say, okay, well, but it was also like a randomness. I guess it kind of sums up the idea of the show. Who's got the X factor? Yeah, now much, much I guess like it's just a term we don't use uh, because, you know, we've, we realize the word, the letter X, uh, you know, now that we've uh, started to communicate in different ways, mostly by dance and fluid motion, we don't really, you know, that we use words so much less except for now when we're being analyzed for how we'd look at a time capsule. Okay, so that's the X factor. What about now cayenne or cyan and CGA? Those are interrelated according to my research. Uh, one gives us a clue about the meaning of other. So I guess I'm not sure how they're related to the X factor in this conceptual practice we're actually participating in right now. CGA was once a way of displaying data on a screen or graphics, uh, particularly 
on uh, PC and PC clones. It was a graph. There, there was different graphics cards, and uh, one of the graphics cards uh, very early on was called the CGA Color Graphics Adapter. I think is what it stood for. And eventually there would be EGA, Enhanced Graphics Adapter, uh, I believe, and then VGA, which I don't know what the V stood for, uh, Graphics Adapter. And I think after that they stopped using those terms, maybe. Maybe they had ZGA, I don't know. But CGA, I believe, was only capable of displaying four colors, uh, CGA, cayenne, Maybe it just stood for that, cayenne, no. It was a, like a, a light blue, a light purple, maybe only white, and then the absence of color, I guess, in this case, because the monitors, uh, I think. Or it could switch over and it could display, I, I believe, uh, shades of green. I don't know if it could even do shades now that I'm thinking about it. You know, based on our, you know, the great the class we took in fourth grade, history of graphic uh, graphics adapters. That was one of my favorite classes as a child. Uh, but the other one could be green and yellow, maybe, maybe white. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, so that, and I guess yes, like uh, like so that was one kind, and then EGA I think had sixteen colors, and then VGA had two hundred and fifty six colors, maybe. Uh, but then when you get into those more colors, you could you know uh, do more with them. I do know that Scooter had a CGA card, and then eventually they had a VGA card. But I don't think their computer, their PC clone could handle it. But then the era of buying, there was a, like a time where you just stopped buying PC clones and then you got, you know, used ones. And then Scooter was out on his own. So those, the, the, I think that's what it's probably referring to because one of the colors was cayenne. RGB was a monitor, red, green, blue. Red, green, and blue, right? And CGA, cayenne. I don't know where where that comes from. CGA, cayenne, green, and amber. That's not it. It's, I think it's colors, gra- color graphics adapter. But you would need an RGB monitor to uh, display this kind of stuff. I think, uh, you know, this was back uh, before we had uh, total vision, which are now, now we don't need to think about any of this stuff. Uh, so, okay, well, that was an interesting one to analyze. Uh, let's see. Oh, wow, this one is 31, right in, right in our wheelhouse here. Not that far back. Uh, oh, boy, this one is called Vice Heaven. And I think in the future they would say, they would also have to contextualize it with what they've already uncovered, I think. So they'd say Vice Heaven. And they'd say, okay, well, that's interesting, vice heaven. You know, vice uh, heaven, you know, remember when they had those uh, belief systems, uh, there was the good place and the not, the, the bad place, and heaven was the good place, uh, you know. You know. Is that like Big Farm in the Sky? No, different concept. Like uh, this was more of a all-or-nothing style thinking. Ah, okay, very conceivable. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Uh, 
And what about vice? Tell me what vice means uh, back then. Well, vice back then meant kind of a couple different things, and I think I'm going to take a shot at this one. You know, vice was uh, something that wasn't necessarily good for you or indulgent, uh, maybe detrimental to you or someone else, uh, kind of like uh, they used to drink these sugar drinks. That was a vice. Or uh, there, there was other ones, uh, but that was the main one, you know, we look back at and wonder about. Uh, they see why that's interesting, you know, why we can just dance and, and we feel good. Yeah, this made them, you know, it's more, it was a different time back then. So, but I think this is one, these are two words, they're both capitalized, vice heaven. Now, to me, that means it's a title. Have all the words been capitalized? Uh, Maybe, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention to that, but so to me, Vice Heaven, and I'm thinking about it in the timeline of what we're uncovering, it was probably a name of what they would call a TV show, because this seems to be, you know, that other last one. Now, back then, you couldn't watch TVs on your TV on your computer, but... Uh, so you wouldn't be watching TV with a CGA card, but so... But it just it says to me, like a show, well, what, what do you think the TV show would be about? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think it would probably be about, uh, 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 like, so Vice sometimes was a team of investigators uh, rooting out Vice. Because uh, if it was detrimental to other people, they'd say, well, we can't do this. It's detrimental to other people for your own enjoyment. Well, could you give me an example of that? Well, remember, uh, you know, like, uh, remember when they discovered that uh, sidewalk chalk uh, was like, uh, oh, yeah, that, that uh, it did change the, the sidewalks and that clumsy people like Scooter could take a trip on that. Yeah, so they discovered that, yeah, that even though many people poo-pooed the idea that drawing on chalk uh, with chalk on sidewalks no one believed it for 30 or 40 years that uh, until the scooter, you know, proved it. Uh, scooter versus uh, Sidewalk Chalk Incorporated, uh, that it, it changed the texture and it raised up by billionths of inches uh, for people like him to trip over. For a long time, it was considered a pleasurable thing, mostly for children or artists uh, to draw with chalk on the sidewalk. But once they discovered that, it became a choice. Well, this isn't good for clumsy people. Uh, and so for most people, they stopped. But for some people, it was a vice. And they said, well, I don't care. I'm going to draw on sidewalks. Uh, it brings me pleasure. And so a vice team would go and investigate that. They'd say, and this sounds like something that would happen in heaven. And so probably that was like a plot of an episode of the TV show was a team, you know, maybe it was a two pair of detectives, I don't know. And uh, they said, we got a case. Uh, they said, oh, tell me about this case. Well, it's sad. Look at these pictures. Oh, they're beautiful. Is that the Pieta? No, that's uh, the chapel of Michael, you know, that the, the thing, the ceiling with the... 
Oh, wow. Whoa, is that really a well? It looks like it's 3D. No, it's a, just a painting, a drawing. Wow, these are really impressive pictures. Well, I got bad news for you. They're sidewalk or chalk art. You're kidding me. My, my, my heart is breaking when you're telling me that. Uh, yeah, and it's our job to track down whoever did this. Whomever did it? Maybe. And bring them to justice because uh, it's been calculated that one out of every million people that uh, walk over these uh, could trip. Uh, and that's just not right. That's right. It's another case of uh, vice heaven. So I think that's probably what it was. Uh, okay, that's interesting. It makes total sense to me. I mean, probably not a show I would watch. Uh, but it sounds like it could have been a show back then. Okay, 473 is our next number. Okay, uh, you know what? I know I was right on that last one because this one is uh, Laurel and Hardy's March of the Wooden Soldiers. Uh, holy cow, that's uh, that's interesting. That, that uh, What does that even mean? I don't understand. Laurel and Hardy's means it's a possessive... Uh, and then March of the Wooden Soldiers. Uh, soldiers were made of wood at some point in history? In the last hundred years, I didn't learn about that in school. No, no, no. This was a, uh, this was a movie, a film. Uh, so this is interesting. So, so I guess that lines up with my last guess, so because uh, this was just simply a movie. Laurel and Hardy were a comedy team. I guess this is the most easiest one we had. It makes me feel like we shouldn't, uh, we, we should probe it more. But Laurel and Hardy made a movie called March of the Wooden Soldiers, also known as Babes in Toyland. I don't know much about the history when the first version of the movie was made, but it was remade many times. Oh, could you, you know, I'm not familiar with either Laurel and Hardy or the film. Could you tell me more about that in case you're right? Okay, Laurel and Hardy were a comedy team, and I think they were in Vaudevillian, uh, but I'm not 100% sure because I don't have all my data, you know, access to all of my fluid data right now. Uh, but they uh, were just a comedy team. They made movies, they made shorts, I think they probably performed in person, and they kind of had a thing where uh, one of them was very, uh, actually had a lot of vices, not obvious vices, mostly being grouchy and knowing everything and being uh, selfish, I think. Uh, and the other one was more of like a, in the moment, uh, had a little na childlike naive, naive, naivete, as they say in former France, and was pretty nice uh, and usually had, you know, like a, the accidental genius kind of thing. It doesn't sound funny at all. Why would they spend time together? Well, I think, you know, they, they maybe they they were friends, uh, you know, opposites. They said, uh, and they, I think that, 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 that they just intersected in a way that they could usually resolve whatever the challenge was in the movie just by being themselves. Oh, 
You know, it's also inspiring because they would be eventually overcome their selfishness and uh, maybe obliviousness or I don't know, to to uh, solve and, uh, and normally help people in some way or give come up in, to some sort of authority figure. Oh, interesting. And so what was the March of the Wooden Soldiers part in Babes in Toyland? So they lived in in this particular film. It was a it was a holiday esque film because it happened in the world of Toyland, which was a isolated, actually an isolationist kingdom, I believe, uh, populated by characters from Mother Goose's like nursery rhymes that also produced some of the toys for Santa Claus. Don't you mean Roberta Claus? No, no, this was before Roberta Claus existed. Uh, oh, predates Roberta Claus. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it was. And so they, they uh, so that was the kingdom they lived in. And basically what happened was uh, that there was someone there. I don't know. It was confusing, but... Uh, I think someone tried to take over the town, and then they stopped them, more or less, as a short version. Because I don't want to totally spoil it for you, you know. Okay, well, that's interesting. What, what uh, What's our next number? Actually, it's just 419. Is, is, uh, okay, so what is 419? It's the known mower. The known mower. The known mower or the known mower? The Known Mower, K-N-O-W-N. Okay, The Known Mower. That is, uh, was that, so this must be, could, could I take a shot at it? Because you've had them all so far. Yeah, you can. Uh, go ahead. Okay, The Known Mower definitely sounds like something from a belief, an ancient, you know, a belief system. Okay, I'm hearing. I'm hearing you. Tell me more. The known mower. So it means something. So it sounds like it's connected to the earth, uh, but maybe not uh, exactly a wholesome. Maybe about control of the earth. Uh, so maybe some sort of belief system. Maybe not like the that belief system that was popular for the thirty years in the middle there. Uh, like, uh, where, oh, you mean where it was more gray, gray, but yeah, I, I, I remember that. I don't remember, tell me more about what you're thinking. Yeah. And I think that would make sense that they praised someone called the known mower. Like, uh, if you're not painting an all or nothing, it's someone that's mowed or believes that you should have green grass everywhere. They're a known quantity, so so it's like they're not an other. They're known, but they aren't exactly do. So they're they're not doing good or bad, but they could do better. You say, well, have you you know drought? Have you heard about drought tolerant plants? Uh, what are your thoughts about gravel? Like the known mower, you could have a conver- You could have a conversation at night, and you could say. Oh, known mower, you know, I know that my consumption patterns, uh, you know, are like yours, uh, not perfect. And, you know, you really help me accept my humanity 
and the fact that I have impact no matter what I do. Please, maybe the known mower actually reform, was a reform god. Okay, so the known mower maybe stopped mowing and, and then learned about drought-tolerant plants and those kind of things. Or, yeah, depending on the region, right? Because not every region has drought-tolerant plants. Right, they might have said, well, where would I, like, do, do I really, I know I, like, think about having grass and lying in it and, uh, my neighbor's saying, hey, hey, sharp-looking grass there. You just mowed it. Uh, but, yeah, does that really, uh, what a, I would love to get out, you know, get to, I might start taking a few prayers to the known mower. I really thank you for introducing me to this uh, this god, a goddess, a demigod. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think really it uh, helps me love my humanity in all its flavors. Uh, yeah, that's why we have the, the, the goddess of flavor. I mean, I guess maybe it's very similar to that. Uh, yeah, it just like the idea that the known mower, wow, really captures, it really showed how we made it here. Uh, the decline of the sense of other and the realization of acceptance of impact and then moving towards change. That's a powerful thing. Yeah, wow, interesting. I guess I guess that's why they put it in there. Okay, what's our next number? 627 it is. Okay, this one is Melorama. One word, Melorama. I guess we're getting a lot of inner Melorama. Melorama. I don't I'm stumped at Melorama. So I guess we could try to break it into, you know, things. Mellow. Mellow was like, a, from my experience, was a, like a phrase. It could mean mild. But it was also like an enhancing phrase. So you'd say, well, that's like a, a descriptive phrase. Uh, and also had like a... It could be used in not a slang way, but as a description of your feelings. If your feelings were mild, but in a chill, chill like remember that word chillax they taught us in in, uh, in our master's class? Oh, yeah, love that. The history, a history of chillaxing uh, uh, from something to cheating. I remember all the stuff about the good play. Oh, yeah, that was so interesting. But this... Uh, so mellow is a little bit like chilling, but you could also say, oh, that flavor is mellow. You, you know, we, we still use that word. Uh, we just have that way you move your elbow to describe it. Oh, yeah, but that's, it says more than just mellow to me. Right, right. But uh, so that's mellow. Mellow Rama. Now, Rama is another interesting word. Now, Rama usually would be used in a sense of like... Uh, like, it was a commercialized word. I don't know if this is a portmanteau. Uh, maybe we should, we should uh, you know, send out some uh, spiritual messages to the great illusionist uh, to find out more if that is a portmanteau. I don't think Rama was ever an actual word. Uh, but Rama was kind of a, like, usually be used in a commercialized way. So, like, a, to mean a collection or an experience, or a festival, but not just meaning that. Uh, 
So, like, I think the first places I had it were roller skating rinks were always ended in Rama. Like, skate-o-rama. Sometimes they would add the word O to it. So, mellow-rama is an actual accidental pun using that convention, which is even more interesting. So... What does what does roller skating have to do? With it? Well, there was a time when it roll a couple of different periods uh, where roller skating inside in rinks in circles to music it was really fun. I, I'm surprised it hasn't come back. Maybe do you want to start it? Yeah, we could call it Melorama. What a second! We could go into business together. You're right. A relaxation, a place to chillax, and a place to skate. Melorama. That must have been what it was, because they did have, a lot of people were searching for relaxation. I don't know how those two things align. Like, would it, I mean, I guess it's relaxing after you skate, so maybe you would go roller skating. You'd do the hokey pokey, you'd turn yourself around and have all that fun. And then, yeah, have a relaxation time. So I guess that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, I guess that would be what Melorama was. And what it will be if we do it together. I love that idea. Okay, what's our next number? Our next number is 299. Okay, this one is another one that's uh, going to take some probing. It's Creole MacGyver. Okay, Creole MacGyver, that sounds interesting to me, but easy, too. Because I know you, we, we had just recently talked about MacGyver. Yeah, so MacGyver was a TV show, a couple rebooted a couple ways. So I guess, yeah, this is, I guess, another straightforward one. Now, this kind of seems a little distasteful to me that they would do a Creole MacGyver. Uh, so maybe it was something more open-minded than that. Uh, or maybe it was a juxtaposition or something that we're not understanding. But that would make sense unless it was some sort of di- food dish that we're not aware of. That may make more sense. What about if it was a rest- What if it was a Creole restaurant? That, what, what do you think about that? Because uh, you, you were getting the title sense. And I was getting the MacGyver sense because it is the word MacGyver. Oh, so you're saying Creole MacGyver, a restaurant, uh, a Creole restaurant. Well, that okay, so I was recently, you know, I'm working on my Ph.D. on some stuff, and I've been watching this TV show called Top Chef. You know, you were telling me about it the other day. And so a lot of those, there was an era during those programs where people were trying to, they were called molecular, molecular gastronomists or something. Wiley Dufresne, I think, and, uh, oh, now I'm forgetting some of the other names. Uh, uh, what was his name? The one that was on the show, uh, Richard, ha- not Richard Hatch. He was on Survivor. That's what I did my second master's in. Uh, but yeah, Richard Blaze, that was his name, and some other people, they were molecularers, so they would take foods. Uh, so I could see that being a restaurant where it's like the food's MacGyvered, and so, like the theme isn't MacGyver the TV show, but it's MacGy- the essence of a MacGyver. 
Okay, I think you. I think you're correct. Well, thank you, thank you. Was, that's interesting. But I would. I would like to eat there, Creole MacGyver. I mean, I would like to eat there under only a certain. I'll be honest with you, because I say, well, the use. He'd say, well, if it was run by Richard Dean Anderson, that would be interesting. But if it was, you know, someone with a legitimate Creole connection and a half, in my opinion, I would only eat there. If there was a, you know what I'm saying? I, I totally hear you. I, I have no objection to that at all. Okay, what's our next one? Is 457 the next number we have to do probe on? Okay, so what is it? Sylvan Beach Stroll. Okay, okay, what, what are your impressions of it? Well, my first impression is Brighton Beach Memoirs, uh, just because that just popped in my head when I saw Sylvan Beach Stroll. Uh, so, but I, I, I don't know if that's a thing. Sylvan Beach Stroll. Oh, you know what I'm thinking? It might be what what a, a dance. Uh, like, doesn't that sound like some sort of dance? I mean, it could be a descriptor of an actual. It could be uh, a, a like a five k. Oh, yeah, those were popular. A 5K that you could walk or some sort of fundraising thing. Or, yeah, one of those community, like a festival, the Sylvan Beach Stroll. Oh, yeah, but when you say it like that, the Sylvan Beach Stroll, it does sound like a dance. uh, And it has that just rhythm to the words, the Sylvan Beach Stroll. Yeah, and it would have to capture that essence of a boardwalk, uh, seaside amusements or lakeside amusements, the nostalgia of dancing. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, maybe we could, do you think we could, maybe I'll work on that as a, I could see if I could get a grant, uh, or maybe I'll just do it for fun and I could investigate the Sylvan Beach Stroll. And we could bring it back. I mean, with, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, dancing's just so much more important now. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't heard of this dance. Uh, yeah, and if it's not, a, if, it, if we're wrong, we could just invent that dance. Uh, wow, you really, like, uh, it's almost like we're on the X Factor now. Oh, you're, you're so funny. Okay, what's the next number? The next number, I don't know about this random number, January, 499. Okay, well, don't question its randomness. Just accept it. Uh, 499 is Mosaic Memories. Uh, 499, Mosaic Memories. Okay, well, that's interesting. Mosaic Memories is, uh, that sounds like a store, well, uh, I don't know what else it could be other than a place to go to buy memories done in mosaics. Uh, I mean, I'd say it could be that. It could be a retrospective of a mosaic artist, uh, or it could be the title of a a work in mosaic, uh, or a themed exhibition of a mosaic, you know? Oh, yeah. What about a, a book by one of the great mosaic? I mean, I have no background in mosaics, so I don't know who the great mosaic artists are. Uh, but a background, you know, it could be their autobiography or a biography or a historical look at mosaic art, uh, mosaic memories. Uh, 
it would be interesting, you know, because they're broken pieces, but that's very, I mean, it could have a subtitle. Oh, it could be a book, just a book title made up by the guy that makes up book titles and doesn't write books, too. Oh, you're right. That is interesting. But Mosaic Memories, I feel like that could be one of those things. Uh, oh, you know what else could be? Is a descriptor? Like maybe it was a slang term for when your thoughts are a little bit scrambled. Oh, wow. Like I have Mosaic Memories, man. Can't remember, like, can't quite make you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, then that's really the truth. Uh, maybe it's, uh, maybe it was a book like that or some sort of research, mosaic memories. What a beautiful way to describe it. Uh, maybe it was an empowered uh, descriptor. Yeah, just a case, another case of mosaic memories. Ah, uh, they would say, oh, I, yeah, I like that. I accept that as the answer. Okay, we're almost to the bottom of this time capsule of ideas, and yet another 400 number comes up. Uh, 438, okay, 438 is uh, Dormant Dormant. Oh, wow, this one, we already know what it is. Yeah, this was one of the great, uh, wow, this is like, this is interesting that it's in here, because this is one of the foundational children books of... uh, I mean, not everyone's belief system, but what we're trying, you know, an open-ended belief system that everyone's trying to uh, work into their own belief systems. Uh, I mean, the best-selling children's book, I believe, of all time until, uh, uh, you know, whatever that last one was that was inherently snackable. That's, uh, oh, yeah. That's a children's book. I, I I know kids today, in twenty eight twenty or whatever year it is. Uh, but yeah, that that uh, the dormant doormat. Remember reading that book? Oh, do do I? It really helped. For, you know, let me know that uh, sometimes you it's okay to feel like a dormant doormat. Uh, but then you know that it, it really taught me steps to soft power and empowerment. Uh, in accepting other people's, uh, hum- you know, hum- you know, setting boundaries. Uh, wow, that's really what you got out of it. Holy cow, that's it. that's great. Why did you get something different out of it? I mean, I, I took it as, I mean, this is not uh, to take away from what you said, is the power of dormancy, of patience, uh, of, uh, you know, I mean, like the whole idea of Ignatius kind of played into it. I mean, I guess that's just from what I've studied. Oh, of discernment. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but but I agree with you also of boundaries, of acceptance, of acceptance of self. Uh, and that uh, also accepting that sometimes it just feels that way. I mean, that's like, sometimes everybody feels like a doormat. Uh, it was like, would it, before that book, it probably would have been the saddest words ever spoken. But now, it's one of the things that unites uh, so many of us. You know, not everyone has read uh, The Dormant Doormat. But everyone has had that experience. So that was, uh, who do you think wrote that book? Because it said... Uh, uh, unknown by an unknown, you know, it's the most best-selling book by an unknown author. 
Well, you know what I heard was that the entire book was imaginary. Really? Like imaginary within an imaginary world? Yeah, it was an imaginary book within an imaginary world. But real empowerment. Oh, wow. So that's... uh, that is complex stuff, uh, but I really like that title, The Dormant Doormat. I mean, I'm sure that uh, also a good use of alliteration. Yeah, it makes me just want to curl up and think about that, uh, those opening pages. Yeah, let's get comfortable. Yeah, those opening pages of, uh, you know, once upon a time, there was a doormat, uh and then I think that, yeah, there was that picture of the doormat there. The door, wasn't it like the doormat was deep, deep asleep? Uh, in some sense, the doormat was dormant. Uh, and then one day, you know, with all the mud, that was like the part with all the mud and the rain. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, and then they talked about, the, 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 you know, who lived, who needed the doormat, the whole building, and everybody, all the diversity of characters that lived in that building, but they all had to go through the mud, and that's when they needed the doormat, uh, yeah, but then they, you know, start, you know, and then the part where they, you know, they do, oh, and uh, what about me? Uh, and then the doormat, uh, and then that's what we all learned. Uh, like, uh, oh, yeah, what a story. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to lie down and sleep. Oh, so am I. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, because that's why I'm uh, a Veronica Betty here. Looking back, uh, Through this time capsule of ideas, good night.